Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. We have an interesting episode for you today with Ironman's head referee, Jimmy Riccatello. Jimmy actually started out as a pro back in the late 1980s, raced through the 90s and early 2000s, and it was the officiating issues that he saw while out on course that prompted him to get involved and get some rules changed. And it prompted him to find out exactly how much goes into every rule in a triathlon. Today, Jimmy talks about some of the philosophy behind his refereeing, how he's been working towards global consistency across races as the global head of officiating, and he runs us through some frequent rule questions, what you need to know, what he wishes you knew, and how to handle some common tricky situations. Now, we used to do a column with Jimmy called Ask a Ref, and we may bring it back. So if you have a rule question, share it in the comments or send it to us at letters at triathlete.com. We'll try to get your questions answered. And as Jimmy explains, remember, you want the refs out there. They make the race fairer. All that after this quick break. Interested in triathlon, training, gear, tips from the pros? Subscribe to the Triathlete Magazine podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes of the Triathlete Hour drop every Wednesday. Our gear podcast, Gear Up, comes out the last Monday of the month, and our training podcast, Fitter and Faster, arrives on the mid-Friday of each month. Subscribe so you don't miss any of these great episodes. All right, this week we're talking to Jimmy Riccatello, who's probably best known as Iron Man's head global referee, but uh, you actually used to be a top pro. You won the first Xterra World Championship. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, I kind of want to hear about the first ever Xterra World Championship. Wow! wow. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm. I'm. You know, you're right. A lot of people don't know um, that I that I actually used to race. And mm-hmm. In fact, I get that question a lot from the from the athletes that have a problem with the rules. You know, <laughs> do you have any idea what we're going through out here? And well, kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, way back when uh, I did race oh gosh from 84 until until 2008 really but 2004 I slowed down um all those years as a professional triathlete and shorter distances mostly Xterra um sprint olympic the odd half the even odder full um (laughs) and yeah Xterra I was fortunate to get in there early before you know so that that everybody there that the the 10 pros who were there um maybe only one or two actually knew how to ride a mountain bike <laughs> so um not to not to discredit completely discredit my ability levels but that I, I kind of got a little lucky in the first few years at, at Xterra before people came into the sport that actually knew how to mountain bike but it is something I'm super proud of and and um I feel like my experience as a as an athlete um, helps for sure with the officiating for sure. So. And how uh, I mean, it must have been pretty different in the 80s, 90s. You kind of saw the birth of triathlon, saw it change. Uh, was it more grassroots back then? Smaller? Well, now you're making me feel even older. <laughs> than I am. Um, but yeah, it. It. Does, it did feel a little bit different, um, but I, I was in there long enough to, to sort of see see it through full circle. Um, the events I did were, um, you know, initially they were they were grassroots, they mm-hmm. were small events, and Xterra stays it is still that way. Uh, but I also my my initiation to the sport came through the the United States Triathlon Series, and that was big. That was sort mm-hmm. of equivalent to the 70.3 series, I think, you know, 2000 people, prize money, um, big expos and, a, a, a lot of interest around the events. And if I think hard about it, it, you know what, it, it's the same. Really? I, it, it's very close to the, to the same. I mean, I think our sport is still a little bit more grassroots and, than some of the others. It's definitely evolved, but Minus running around in a speedo, you know it 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 um, it's kind of, it's kind of the same. Okay, I mean there was pretty big prize money back then too. I mean almost more prize money back then, right? You know, I think we're 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 getting better, but it it was the early years, and and yeah, I think the athletes were 
back then the 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 endemic sponsors especially and and some non-endemic were were more keen to this is my opinion um you know i'm not a professional translator anymore so <laughs> I, but my whoops i'm sorry my um i think the 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 endemic companies were more keen to put their money behind athletes right and and then as the sport evolved and grew and we got into the Olympics, you know, we, it brought more eyeballs to the sport, but, but companies then started to think about putting their money behind events and federations, uh, as opposed to athletes, the endemic sponsors anyway. And, um, maybe they felt like it was a little more bang for their buck. So it was a natural evolution. I think it would have gone that way, whether we got into the Olympics or not. Um, but I, from my experience, that's something where, you know, the, the event itself, the nuts and bolts don't seem a ton different. Um, but the sport has definitely evolved and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there's more people doing triathlons globally and more people buying equipment. And, and, um, so, it, you know, a lot of things have combined to, I think, to make it a little bit tougher for today's, for the average pro triathlete today, like th- th- that was like me back in the day, it was a little bit easier. I think you're right for me mm-hmm. to make a living back in the day um there's more opportunity to make money outside of prize money and right. uh but i hope that comes back and and i th- I think it sort of is yeah there's definitely i mean there's some people doing well and you kind of like lucked into triathlon in college right like i mean you swam in high school you ran a little bit and you just well, sort of, and then it ended up being like your whole life huh? yeah it, it is it's, i got incredibly lucky I, I i swam in high school and i i was not good enough to swim in college um but i i took a class my freshman year a water polo class you know you got to have those easy classes <laughs> and, and uh the the instructor is a guy named george dallin and he was our our local guy um our local talent and he he ended up actually becoming the first usa triathlon national team coach. Hmm. So he, he has a master's PhD in ex-phys and, and was, a, was at the time the, the best triathlete. And I was, um, he, he was a role model for me and, a, and, and a, eventually a mentor, uh, Paul Huddle as well was, was, a was a friend of mine who also went to the university of Arizona. So we met there and Paul was, had been in the sport a year before me and I, I, I totally got lucky, you know, and that Tucson was a very, and still is, I mean, a lot of people come here to train, but we're not like Boulder, you know, we're not mm-hmm. really known, like, you know, you go to the pool or you go somewhere here and, and people aren't super familiar with triathlon versus a Boulder where, you know, it's an, it's a known commodity. Right. It's everywhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. But we do have a lot of people here training. And, um, so for me to, to meet the people I met and, and they, they then, you know, got me into running and, and cycling. Um, I was lucky. I truly was lucky. Just a, just a weird set of coincidences weird that kind of led this sport and no, yeah, never did I feel that I think, um, that my, that I would make a, a living yeah. at, at sport. Uh, well, I, no, I'm, like now I'm curious, what, what, what were you planning on doing? What was your job going to be before you became a professional oh triathlete, an official, official, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, if officiating was way outside my my <laughs> my thought process or what I had in in mind for myself, but I went to the I was enrolled in the College of Architecture at the University oh. of Arizona, and um, y- you know, my my sophomore year, I started to get the opportunity to uh, again. I think I was very fortunate about the the time I came into the sport and. The, very, the first race I did as a professional was USTS Phoenix. It was just up the road, and and I think Paul Huddle convinced me to go, and I ended up getting second to Scott Tinley, and and he, uh, you know, he n- nobody knew who, who I was. In fact, I got disqualified at that race. It's, oh, that's really? A, to to yeah, I mean, and that was so that was my introduction in the officiating side of it. I got disqualified for because they didn't think I did the swim, <laughs> and there was a guy that sat on my wheel for 20 miles, literally like one inch away. And I, I, I saw him back there, but I 
I'd never done a professional race. I thought, well, maybe, maybe my notion of the draft zone is different. <laughs> he must know what he's doing. And, but he never passed. He stayed behind. And back then the draft marshals were stationary on the road and he appeared in a couple people's books. So he got disqualified, but they thought that, that he had some sort of a deal with me to help him, you know, that I skipped the swim and then helped him on the bike. Huh? Um, so they disqualified me, but a number of athletes, uh, including Huddle, said, no, he was he was in the race. I swam right next to him. And, and so I ended up getting second. I actually finished third, but this guy that, that sat on my wheel got disqualified and that moved me up to second. And so that was my introduction to to the rules side. And uh, and then and then Scott Tinley on the professional side just said, hey, I don't know who you are, but uh Here's if you want some advice, let me give it to you. And he, he said, always pay cash. <laughs> Don't get a credit card and use the money that, that you made here to go to another event. And so I promptly bought a plane ticket to Portland and did the Portland USTS and then Boston and then one or two others and, and Hilton Head. And the, the rest is history. So Scott Tinley, you never met him, gave you some advice. Do you still not have credit cards based on Scott Tinley's advice? I, I, I do have credit cards, <laughs> but I don't have any credit card debt. And that and I will credit full full credit to Tinley for for that. And and Scott at the time, according to 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 Huddle and people, you know, I don't think he was as as free with with his time and advice. He he definitely um took me under his wing. In fact, I, you know, Tinley Clothing was a, was an eventual sponsor of mine and we're still tight to this day, and and uh, I wish I wish more professional triathletes had maybe they do, mm-hmm. but but had that that person. He was super super kind to me and super influential. Hmm. Um, looked up to him and still do. So I was gonna ask you. It sounds like you guys did have rules back in the day. You did have uh, rules did. and just disqual- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you? I mean, obviously. As you kind of ended your pro career, how did you end up officiating? What, like, how does one get into officiating? Do you do you take a course? Is that how it works? Well, it is how it works. It's not how it worked in my case. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I I complained a lot about officiating, and the 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 not not so much the officials themselves, although that was a, a target of mine as as well. To be fair. And honest, um, mainly complain about the inconsistency from event to event, and certainly from country to country. Right. You know, you go to the, you go outside of the U.S. and the draft zone was ten meters inside the U.S. It was seven meters, or or three bike lengths. Um, you had to wear a shirt. In outside the U.S., uh, there were there were differences, and you know, I I always wondered why there were differences when everything was sort of under the same umbrella in theory. And so I sort of worked um, to to convince, or at least put the notion out there that that powers to be get together and and come up with one and one global rule book. And and when I expressed my uh, frustration or displeasure with a certain rule or or policy, um, I was told. You know, hey, we don't write the by by the by the people in charge. We don't write the rules. If you want to, if you want to make changes, you've got to get on the board of directors and you know present your your option or mm-hmm. your your rule revision, and then the board will approve or not. And so I, I then got on the board of directors and of, spent of six USAT years. or World Travel. Yep. Okay. Yep, USAT board of directors. I I was there. Let me look at my little thing here. From 96 to 2001, so six long years, <laughs> and uh, and it it was it was truly eye opening to to see the sport from from that side, the governance. Um, I don't know. I, I wish all all triathletes had some sort of window into that that process. It would it would I think it would really help with, with, um, agenda items that they had and, and mm. concerns that they had as a, as a group, as a whole. Um, but it was really eye opening for me in a, in a, in a positive way. Um, it also, it, the, the person that told me, you know, if you want to change the rules w- was right. And I did get a, a few things changed, 
um, properly, you know, per, per the, the process. And so when I neared the, the end of my, my career, and I think it was, was 2005, uh, I was asked by the race director of, of, uh, Kona, who's still the race director today, um, Ms. Diana Birch mm-hmm. to some people had given her feedback that, that I might be interested. They, they, I think at the time, Ironman and, and USA try had a little bit of, a, a falling out. And so Ironman decided to self-officiate and, and it's a, it's a more complicated story than, than that, but that's the gist of it. And, and so they called and asked if, since I, since I was involved politically and since I, you know, grumbled a fair bit and, um, I, I don't want to make it sound like I hated the, the, the rules and the officials because I didn't, but I did speak up. And, right. um, so they said, Hey, you know, this is an opportunity for you to put your money where your mouth is. And, and I thought about it. It, it, it was a scary notion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things I did learn for my six years on, on, on the board with USAT is that it, it's not, it's not easy. There is a process. It's not easy to affect change and, and there is a process, but ultimately I, I was convinced because the people at Ironman said, you know, this is, uh, th- we're going to self officiate and this is an opportunity for you to, to get some, some stuff done, uh, maybe a little bit easier than, than you would at the, at the, um, federation level. Right. So I thought, you know what, I've, I've got to take this opportunity, see what it's about, see if it helps. And, um, you know, Diana and, and she's just super smart and, uh, she had, uh, faith in me. I think we aligned on a lot of issues but one of the the cool things that they told me was, was you know, if you, your my my mentality, my underlying mentality was officials aren't the enemy. You know, I wanted to sort of de-escalate the us against them mentality that existed when I when I raced. You know, the officials are the bad guys, and and as an athlete, I wanted the officials there. You know, I was a a decent swimmer, good cyclist, crummy runner, so. We all have our, our, um, our items, you know, and a lot of times they're selfishly specific to, to our needs. And I, I was, because I wasn't a good runner, I, I didn't want people to draft on the bike. Right. And you know, my peers and I had a lot of, you know, we'd fight at the race, you know, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the next morning when we're surfing or on a bike ride, we, we would talk. And so I, I felt like it, w- it was just a good opportunity. I'm probably, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit more than I should, but they, they, they convinced me that it was an opportunity to, to accomplish these things, you know, and to, to get the athletes on board. And, and, and so we started with the pros and, and just let them know that, you know, we are here, the officials are here because you want us here. You guys want a fair race. You know, you're going to, you're, you, every race you argue about the amount of drafting or whatever, that's still the hot topic. Right. Um, so we're going to enforce it, you know, and, and we're going to enforce it because that's what you guys want. And some of you are going to get a penalty and you're, you're not going to like it. Just remember why we're here, you know, and we're not going to manufacture these things. If, if you get a drafting penalty, you drafted, you may not agree with, you know, you may not feel like it was intentional or whatever, but it was, a violation of the rules technically. And, right. um, okay. so, so you started with yeah. Kona and you started with the pros and I mean, that was, you just said about 15 years ago. And now obviously you're the, what is your tr- global head of refereeing for all of Ironman, which, uh, what does yeah. that mean exactly? <laughs> well, so, so it's morphed into now, um, I think my official title is the global director of rules and officiating. Okay. And so it's, it's become, um, you know, initially there was a need, I had to get in there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and get my hands dirty, so to speak and officiate and, and build that trust with the pros. And again, I'm sure not, not, not all the pros like me, but <laughs> I think most trust that, that, that I'm trying to do the right thing. And, and most know that, that I've been in their shoes at one point and that, that helps. Um, so it, it, I officiated a lot early on just out of necessity and, and the, the need to sort of build that consistency from event to event and then country to country. Mm-hmm. 
now it's more that that the I'm I'm more on the diplomacy side. So I I liaise with, you know, a big a big desire of mine was to to have one global rulebook like right, I talked about right. earlier. So working with the ITU, they've been awesome, um, a, a wealth of knowledge, and also very amenable to compromise with regard to the rule book. And so we're almost identical. And I think in the very near future, we'll have, you know, one middle and long distance rule book that hopefully, you know, every country will, will adhere to with, with minor, minor differences. So that, that's been my focus lately is to make sure that when you go to, when Kelly goes to Ironman Germany, that that she has a similar set of rules that she would have at Ironman Texas mm-hmm. and that the officiating process was the same and their mentality was the same. And, you know, within, within reason. Right. I mean, you yeah. guys did come oh. out with the, I mean, a few years ago, there was the Ironman global like rule update and you guys do update every year and that covers like all Ironman events. And there certainly has been more and more consistency over the last few years. What are like the big areas that needed fine tuning for consistency? I think primarily just drilling down on on what the draft zone okay. should be, and and so we're at 12 meters now globally. Um, a USA try ha- is is uh, you know is coming around to to they've let us do what we needed to do at Ironman events in the U.S. Right, mm-hmm. their rulebook is was quite different than ours, but every year we submitted a, a little document that said, can we can we have these rule variations or can we use this rule book? And they've right. said yes. And and that's awesome. But it's still a little confusing if you go to a, a, you know, a half Ironman distance event in, in Iowa, and then you do a 70.3 somewhere else and, and it's, it's different, but they're coming around. The, the key differences, I think for me anyway, that the, the substantive differences were the, was the draft zone, okay. you know, just settling, just deciding what that was, and and everybody has a a, a different opinion. But the consensus, certainly with, with the pros, is that it's never big enough, right? Right, right. You know, and so, and and I and I get it. Um, it's very hard to quantify what 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 the smallest distance is that that's fair. You know, where where the person that's the distance, the exact distance behind, doesn't get you know, that their power meter isn't reading X percentage <laughs> less than the power meter of the person in front of them, you know, and, and then making sure that the referees, you know, have a way to tell it about what that distance is. So that that's been the, the biggest challenge is getting everybody on board um, and figuring out what that what that best distance is. And while factoring in all the complications and, okay. and, you know, all the things you have to factor in, it's not, it's not as easy as just saying it's this distance and you've got passing and how that happens. And anyways, we, we're, we're close. I think the, you know, do you go through the whole, like the rule book is quite long. Mm -hmm. It's quite big. Do you (laughs) go through the whole thing every year or do you just like, like update key parts each year? The it's, it's, you know, we're at a point now to where we don't, we don't want to change or amend a rule unless the ITU does the same. They're reviewing okay. their rule book every two years. Um, I think that has to do with the Olympic cycle and mm-hmm. they get super busy during an Olympic year, you know, and, um, but it, it, it is the making changes that you think are going to work right. And, and in concert with the ITU. And then that, that trickles down to their the, the federations, the national federations under their umbrella, and getting those federations on board with with the rulebook and the changes, and then seeing what worked and what didn't, hmm. and revisiting those issues. And you know, the the zipper rule is a good example. The right? zipper it, rule makes everyone crazy. <laughs> yes, and and you know, we we probably we as an Ironman, you know, but. To give you a perfect example about the compromise, you know, the ITU middle and long distance rulebook that didn't allow front zippers. Right. You, you had to have a back zipper. Right? right. And so the ITU was like, yeah, OK, we, we get it. You know, we're putting on events that are different from yours. Ours are draft legal, Olympic distance and sprint distance events. And 
and you know people need to be cool um but then the bare torso thing you know how do we manage that and and the compromise was okay you you can have a front zipper but rather than say that zipper had to be seven centimeters long Mm -hmm. which was kind of where we started it it could be full zip right because nobody nobody that made garments right you know wanted to 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 have these specifications that that they had to meet. So we asked, you know, the athletes to, to only zip their zipper down halfway to sort of address decency laws that some of the national federations genuinely have. Um, anyways, the communication, the way the rule was written, wasn't, wasn't great. It was super confusing. How does that apply to, to women who have a, a, sports, a sports top, top underneath right. or even men that, that, wear something underneath a, an outfit they swim in that they might want to wear during the bike, but take off for the run. And anyway, so it, it wasn't written as well as it could. So the next year it, it, so now it says the zipper has to be connected, but it can be undone all the way to the bottom. Okay. Okay. And, and now there's so not without, like the weird thing where like you can take it all the way off if you're wearing a sports bar top, but if you're not, then well, you can only, right. That's still there, Kelly. <laughs> okay. And, and, you know, so, and it's still, it's still, it's not perfect. It's still not, it's still a little confusing, but you know, the, the bottom line is you, you just, you, um, men can't go, well, nobody can go topless. Right. right. And men or women, women. So you, you want men and women to be able to, to, to take the, their, their one piece tri suit off their shoulders, roll it down if they have a shirt on underneath Mm -hmm. and, and the way it was worded, you know, it's just not clear whether you could do that or not. And I think we've gotten as pretty much as close as we can get. It hasn't been, it hasn't been a a topic in the last year or two. Right. Well, I think the way it's written now and, or or certainly the way people understand it is, is working. Um, so this is the kind of thing you like spend all your, your time thinking about. Okay. And, to be fair, you know, I I am a common sense person. Logic is not one of my strong suits. To be completely honest, I'm. I'm my wife, when I met her, she 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 has her master's in exercise physiology, but she went to law school, so she's hyper logic logical, and reminds me regularly that that I'm an idiot, and uh, <laughs> not in a bad way, but I'm lucky that I that I. I can run stuff by her and she's like, yeah, I know what you mean when you're, when you, when you write this, but you, you're not communicating it well okay. in written words. So I have somebody that can help me with the logic part of it, but, but there's a lot of things, you know, outside my, my, um, concerns that, that need to be considered. Mm-hmm. And that's where the ITU comes in super handy because they, they, they deal with, all the the national federations and again global consistency is mm-hmm. is the is the goal so you know we haven't got it perfectly first try but but i just i'm really comfortable with the speed that, that we're making changes that you know if, mm-hmm. if something doesn't work it's so much easier now to to get it changed versus when i raced it huh. it was impossible to to get something done in a year two years even it just took forever then there was no guarantee you could even get it done, you know. And now, when when people bring up a genuine concern of ours that that, that we didn't anticipate, we, we change it, which in a perfect world wouldn't happen. But to me, as somebody that had to 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 be frustrated as an athlete because people acknowledge there should be a change, but it but it never happened. That part of it's really cool to me too. And um, I just think more of the powers that be are, are in line, uh, aligned. And the, the, the process and the system is, is a lot more efficient and it's working better now. Okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit about rules and refereeing since, you know, our, our athletes are always very, this is a hot topic. What are like the most common rules that you see people violate? I mean, obviously drafting, but let's, you know, let's put aside blatant cheating. What are the most common mistakes rules that you, that come up? Yeah. So, I mean, the way you put it, Kelly, is perfect because I don't see, at least I don't recognize there to be a ton of, of blatant in your face cheating. Right. 
there is a lot there are there is a lot of technical violations of the of the rules you know and so the the drafting rules are complicated it's not just riding one inch away from the person in front of you there's more to it and athletes don't understand that there's other other aspects to it so i think the most common mistake people make uh age groupers is they enter the 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 draft zone of the person in front of them and and don't pass you know so they they the person in front of them takes a drink of water, grabs something out of their pocket and slows down. And the person behind them rides right up to their back wheel. The ref is there. And, and the rules say, once you get within the draft zone, you're obligated to pass. You mm-hmm. can't just go into the draft zone and back out. And athletes are in their mind. They're like, well, they slow down. I'm not cheating. So right. when they get a penalty they're they're confused as to why. And the reason that rule is there and, and, and uh, keep in mind, I didn't, I didn't, write the initial drafting rules, but I think they were very well thought out. But you you don't want a person to go right up to the athlete in front of them back wheel and back out all day. You right, know? right. That would groups would never, never break up. And um so there has to be other conditions. It can't just be don't draft. And it's very hard, you know, refs, you want refs to use their judgment, but they're not mind readers. It's sometimes intent of the athlete is pretty obvious, but most of the time it's, it's not, you know? And so you've got to look at the situation. Um, you got to look at the situation in total. And so that's probably that, that part of the drafting rule is something that, that the athletes aren't picking up on. Okay. Even though but it's like written, you can't enter and go backwards. You Once you enter the draft zone, you have to keep moving forwards and pass. Correct. Yeah. And, and then, kind of complimentary to that is when you get past, mm-hmm. you've got to quote unquote immediately drop out of the, the draft zone. So you get, you pass somebody, you pull in front of them. They're now legally in your draft for, for that instant that, that the athlete pulls in front of them. There's a 20 mile an hour headwind and the athletes immediately like, gosh, dang it. You know, they're slowing down. Right. They're slowing me down. And it's like, no, they're not. You're just in their draft. Legally. So yes, you have to stop pedaling, right? They pulled right in front of you. So you've got to sit up, you know, maybe even feather the brakes, depending on which way the wind's blowing or whether you're on a downhill, uphill. And you've got to go six bike links back before you repass. And athletes, they'll get passed. And, you know, especially men who get passed by women. It happens. It happens. And uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of, by the way. It's happened to me more than it than than most but you you've got to drop out of the zone you know right. they, i always tell people you know what why do you get past you know what's going on there and it's like dead silent and it's like i mean they're, they're faster <laughs> right it's not they're moving faster than you are that's how they go around you right okay so anyway um and they probably started 10 minutes behind you right right right, right. so that's it's a just, common a common issue okay it is a common issue. And, and so you, and it's, it's, it's the most, um, common occurrence of, of, of actual drafting. People get passed by someone faster than them and they, and they don't give way, Okay. you know, and if, and that's what lends to groups forming, you know, you, people are constantly getting passed by faster people and they're and, and in the perfect world, they, that person would ride right on by and never to be seen again. But because they pull right in front of you and it's easier and you, in your mind, you think that you have 25 seconds before you have to be six bike links back. And that, that is kind of true, true, but you've got it. You can't sit there for 20 seconds right on their wheel and then slam the brakes on. It's something about like you immediate know? backwards progress, right? It's something, it's some yes. phrase like that. Yeah. Where you have yeah, to start moving have, backwards. Keep, yeah. Keep sliding backwards, which sounds weird to, to say, but <laughs> everybody, I think everybody understands what that means. And, and, but they, they need to be told that, look at your speedometer, nine times out of 10, you're not going slower. It's a lot easier, but you're not going slower. They, they're, they're faster than you. You're just in their draft legally, you know, and then six bike links back, okay. you're not in their draft. And so, um, so those are the most common, most common, uh, mistakes you see errors. Are there other things that you like? really wish athletes knew that you want to tell them? Yes. There, there's a couple of things that I wish athletes and to be perfectly honest, officials knew and, and haven't watched, 
as many events as I've watched and, and, and as many officials from various countries. The, the other scenario is you've got two people that are six bike lengths apart riding the legal distance and an athlete pulls in the middle of them, mm-hmm. an age group athlete pulls in the middle. So they're now within the draft zone, right? So in theory, they've got to go forward, but they, they back up. So they right. pull in front of, they're pulling in the middle of two people that are properly spaced. I just, I just made the pass. And in their mind, they're thinking the person behind them has to back up. But now you've, you've, you know, depending on how diligent the ref is, you know, you've, you've created an issue because you pull in front of somebody, they're now obligated technically to go by you in their mind. There's, you know, right, right. anyways, a lot of times if athletes don't get that and that's, again, that's how groups form. If the refs aren't there uh, and they're not enforcing that, if they are there, groups form, you know, you can't, you can't let somebody pull in between two people and then just back out of the zone. People definitely don't they, know they, slotting they, in. People definitely don't know you're not allowed to slot in. I like or, said this to my husband. He was like, what is slotting in? You're not allowed to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you and you know what? You're right too, Kelly, because age group or pro, you're not. The pros have that rule. You can't slipstream when you pass. Mm-hmm. This is a pro specific rule, not to confuse anybody, but <laughs> you, you know, the pros won't, when they want to pass and they're six spike links back, they got to move left and go by. Age groupers are allowed, their draft zones are allowed to intersect when they mm-hmm. pass. So someone can pull in between two people properly spaced as long as they continue forward. Right. But they can't pull in the middle and back out. And, right. and a lot of times refs don't understand that concept either. It hasn't been explained to them in their education well enough or, or maybe it wasn't even thought about by, by some um, federations that are that – right. Educating their their refs, so that those are the kind of the three big reasons or three big Things situations see, that yeah. cause groups to form. Okay, and, once a group forms, because this happens, right? We see the group, and you see like these huge. What do you do then? Do you just go in and penalize all of them? How do you deal with like these big groups that form? Uh, that that is, you know, I wish every triathlete could experience that from the officiating side it, <laughs> it, it is literally nerve-wracking and and ultimately it goes back to the the the, the philosophy is you you start with the worst the most obvious offender and you work from there okay um it it's not really it's too hard to to just blanket all of you people uh are penalized you know from a practical standpoint no one's gonna you're going to miss some people, right? They're not going to get the message. You don't stop at the penalty tenants of DQ. So you, you start with the worst offender. Um, good refs will, will watch a situation before they act and, okay. and document five or six people and their numbers. And then they'll systematically go to each one and notify them that they have a drafting penalty. If there's a group of 20, you know, you're, you're picking five out. The So it, to the athlete, it might seem arbitrary. You know, it's like, well, what about them? Mm-hmm. You know, with all due respect, Mr. Ref, I've been here for 30 miles, you know, or, and, and you, you missed some people and it's like, okay, but we, you know, I sound, I sound, uh, I sound weird saying this, but we, we didn't miss the ones that we called and, <laughs> you know, we can only do, we can only call what we see right, and, right. and we can only get so many people, you know, we just don't have the, we're outnumbered. And, uh, so, but the goal, the ultimate goal is to affect the race. And when you, when you hand out penalties to a group, even if you miss a few, you positively affect the race. That group disassembles itself mm-hmm. very fast. And, you know, five of, of maybe the 10 out of the 20 that were, that were blatantly drafting get caught and five get away. And, you know, hopefully we, we get them later at another race. If they're, if they're that type, you know, that, that are purposeful, um, drafters versus the, the situational drafters. Right. I mean, there are races where obviously it's just notorious because of the course, because of the way, like everyone comes out of the swim at the same time. Um, and you do get these huge group, I mean, crazy big groups. And I, yeah, I don't know how the refs deal with that at that point. You know, it it is tricky. It's tough. And, and to, to, you know, another one of the very, very cool, fortunate things about my my association with Ironman is these are all things that everything you're talking about, I've I've said to the, my my colleagues and my my bosses. Mm-hmm. Hey, 
you know, hey, we're outnumbered. You're putting, a, you know, you're giving me a thousand athletes coming out of the water within 10 minutes, literally at some right, events. Right. Um, it is really hard for it. We're doing our best and we're calling a lot of penalties, but we're missing a lot and, and we need help. And so Ironman's done a lot to help minimize by course density things that I never thought they would do. I mean, the Kona start now for mm-hmm. age groupers, I never thought I'd see the day where they, where they did, did away with that iconic, you know, mass start right. in favor of a more fair event. It, it, I think that took guts. Maybe, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the one ultimately making those decisions, but, but they've done a lot to really help the, the, the fairness of the race and still keep everything that makes it as magical as it is. And the, in the domestic events, the rolling starts now, I mean, Oh my God, it, it, it is night and day, you know, Ironman Florida. I mean, we, we had fewer people on the course a couple, uh, whenever it was last weekend, but there, you couldn't, you, we, we penalized people for drafting, but it was, a group of three and the last person is right on the second person's wheel. They stick out like a sore thumb and it is purposeful. Like right. the people that come into the penalty tent are like, I was drafting, you know, <laughs> it wasn't like there was a group. I couldn't get out of it. It was, you know, acceptance and acknowledgement. And, you know, I got, I got, I was, I was getting an advantage. <laughs> and okay. so the rolling start has been for us has been huge. You know, it's sort of, it's sort of helped with the barrier to entry for a lot of people, this, the swim is less hectic now. Um, the bike course is, is spread out more. It's still, they're still in a lot of races, it's single or double file line as far as you can see. Right. But there's no groups like there used to be in some of the forums. You know, I, when I started, I was like, oh God, I don't even want to look, you know, and it's <laughs> Ironman, Florida Draft Fest, yeah. <laughs> Kona, holy moly. I mean, but you really, you, you can't find, you, for every thread that starts, you know, Kona Draft Fest thread, people will get on and say, hey, I was there. It, it was light years different than it was five years ago or 10 years ago. And yeah. and pros come up to me now and say, hey, and they've, they've said this for 10 years, you know, with regard to Kona specifically, there's multiple people who are vested have said the strongest swimmer, biker, runner on the day is winning now. And, and that that has probably been the the single coolest thing that that I've heard, you know, as a former athlete and somebody who's now kind of on the other side. Right. Um, you know, we're we were making progress. We're not perfect, but we're making progress. And you mentioned a few situations there, a few examples. You used to do like a column for us where you answered people's uh, question. So, I, you know, we get a lot of like, well, scenario questions where people are like, well, what should I do if I get in the scenario? So let's, so a couple of the scenarios you mentioned there, you know, I'm a slow swimmer or there were waves behind me. I get swarmed by a group. What should you do when you get, you know, passed by these big groups or huge amounts of people? Well, hopefully there's not going to be huge groups passing <laughs> you. But again, I, I always tell people if you're getting caught, whether it's a group or, you know, you have to get passed. And this is something that I dealt with back in my day, you have to get past the, the thought in your head that, that it's a group and they're, they're doing a rotating pace line and that's right. the only reason they're catching me. So you have to focus on yourself and, and like, like everything, Kelly, I mean, you know, no one's being watched 24 seven, right. And whether there's a ref there or not, athletes are obligated to follow the rules and, and the refs are, are obligated to be there and do their job as well. I'm not, I'm not trying to insinuate that, you know, that we don't, we don't act on things that we see, but everybody has a a duty. And so I start with, if you get caught by a person or a group, you've got to follow the rules. You know, you've got to find yourself uh, six bike links behind that person, you know, quote unquote immediately. And they've got to go by. As far as the group goes, it's the same thing. You know, if, if they're moving faster than you and it's a big group, let them go. Yeah. Or, you know, make sure you're six bike links behind the last person in that group. Right. And when the refs get there, they're again, it, it goes, you know, pick out the, the most blatant, obviously blatant violator. That's where they start. So they're going right by you because you're the legal distance and they're going to the people that are less than the legal distance and they're starting there. You know, 
so you don't necessarily have to let the, let them ride away, but but you can't and shouldn't. Um, that this whole you know everybody's doing it, so I'm going to do it. That that mentality is part of the problem. You okay. know, when we have that mentality, we're we're not part of the solution. We're part of the problem, and and it's you know. It was easier for me to make that decision back in the day when when the the forty people that I was racing, you know, right? They were uh, smaller. It was a smaller group, and it didn't matter if I was one inch away from Greg Welch's wheel. I was still going to get my butt kicked by him in the run. So I I didn't stay right one inch behind him. I stayed at the front. Right, right. And if I couldn't stay at the front, I rode the legal distance behind so that I could say, I I did the right thing. Nine times out of ten, the the people in front of me or behind me were less than the legal distance, and and back in the day, not a lot happened to them. I don't I don't want to slag the the officiating. Um, it, it was different back then. It was different, but, right? And the draft zone was a lot smaller. It was three bike lengths. Mm-hmm. You know, so that meant two to three, right? In in reality, so not a lot of penalties were given for drafting. There were some. In fact, I got two that I can remember myself and, and, uh, and I, and I was drafted. So the other, uh, I was going to say, but I was within the distance, but you were, you were breaking the rules. You weren't blatantly cheating, but you were breaking the rules. Okay. The other one we get a lot is what should I do on rolling courses? You know, Hills where you like the change, the change of speed means you end up coming into someone's draft zone, but then you fall back and it, and it can be hard to, to manage. Yeah. Super hard. Right. Because, I mean, I didn't, I was in the college of architecture, but physics was not a class that I did super well <laughs> in, but, but it is, um, you're going, you, you're, you're at the front and you're going downhill 50 K an hour, that transition from down to up, you're now going 30 K an hour. Meanwhile, the person, the legal distance behind you is still going 50 K an hour. Cause they're on the downhill part. And there is that compression with the pros. It's, it's pretty easy. It's like, you guys have to be diligent. Don't, don't right. compress on the transitions from downhill to uphill. And we have that specific discussion. Oceanside is a is a a course where where that can happen. Um, with the age groupers, it's it's really it's really hard, and you get you know a little bit more of an advantage at the legal distance when you're going six fifty, sixty, seventy k an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times the role everybody thinks hilly hilly courses are easier to officiate. They're harder <laughs> for that reason. You know, the flat courses where there's nowhere, it's constant pressure on the pedals. If you keep the athletes 12 meters apart, it, it splits up. And, and again, I think at the pro level, Kona is a good example of that, right? They're, you know, the, the pro field, the, the, the men and women, they'll start with 20, 30 people. Mm-hmm. And by the time you're, you know, sometimes even before IV, that group is, groups of three to five instead right. of 22 and and you know an Ironman Ironman power is is doable by a lot of pros mm-hmm. they, they may not be able to run afterwards but <laughs> it's a testament that like I always tell coaches that give me grief if the benefit were that great sitting fifth wheel why didn't you come off the bike with the leaders you know right and they, you know, that, that causes people to think that, Hey, maybe, maybe the draft zone is, you know, pretty darn fair. And, um, but that's a lot easier to manage on a flat course with gusty winds, flattish course mm-hmm. than it is on an oceanside course where sometimes you're going 10 miles an hour uphill and, and 40 miles an hour downhill. Um, but anyway, sorry to answer your question. <laughs> um, you just gotta, you just have to tell people if you, if you find yourself, one bike length away from the person in front of you, you've got to go around. Okay. And then you, when you educate the refs, you, you implore the refs to use good judgment. You know, our goal is to penalize people who are gaining an unfair advantage, whether it's in, intentional or not. Right. And look at the situation, use your judgment, you know, and, and when someone's getting an unfair advantage, you, you have to act on it. And, but you explain the, the, the physics, if you will, of, of rolling courses to the refs. Um, and you make sure they're, they're well-versed on what drafting actually is. And you know, that, that all the calls that are made are legit, but you want them to apply their logic or sorry, their judgment to a, a situation. Um, and sort of let, let the racers race, but don't ignore 
you know, blatant violations of the rules. So it it's education on both sides, right? You, mm-hmm. you want the athletes to understand what you're trying to accomplish, what the rules are, and that, hey, on rolling courses, what, what you just described happens, and it's tough to keep your distance, but but you need to try. And if you can't, you got to, and an official's there, you're, if you find yourself going from the legal distance back to a couple of bike lanes, you've got to go around right? Just, okay. to, just to be perfectly safe that you don't get a call. And, and that's hard because, you know, maybe the person that passed you is really good on the uphills, you know, and, but a lot of times they're not. And the, with the age groupers, the, the, the answer is simple. You just go by, you know? Okay. And how do you, I mean, if you do get a penalty, cause it happens to all of us, how do you not let that affect the rest of your race? Um, yeah, that's, that's sometimes tough. And I, I, <laughs> I just, you know, that's the beauty of, of that 70.3 at Ironman distance race. I mean, people have won Kona with, uh, with two drafting penalties before hmm. literally one, you know, the, the, the pro race. So you, you have to stay in the moment. You know, I don't, I don't know what, if, if you For coach, sure. what you tell your, your athletes, but things happen out there and you, you, you have to, you have to be present, but you also, you know, if something negative happens, you've got to move past it, you know, and, and not let it affect you. Certainly not on the field of play. And then afterwards you can process it and in, in a, in a more in-depth manner, but it's, it's part of sports and, you know, penalties and rules are, are part of every sport. And every once in a while, you know, despite our best efforts and intentions, we, we get it. So you have to, to, to get rid of this, that this, false stigma that you feel, oh my God, I got a drafting penalty. Everybody's going to think I'm a cheater and I didn't cheat. Everyone in the sport knows that because most of us have gotten a penalty for drafting. You know, we're rarely are we blatant cheaters, but, but we rode right up to the wheel of the person in front of us for whatever reason, we, we lost our concentration or there was a, a rolling hill. Um, rarely do athletes get penalties that weren't, that weren't, justified, you know, that weren't a technical right. violation per the rule book. So you just have to accept that. And I don't know if you know my history, but I've, I got two, two penalties, famous, infamous penalties. Infamous penalties. Yeah. And, and a lot of people have asked me, how did you, how did you keep going after that? That was BS, you know? And it's like, well, I, I did what they said. Number one, I, I don't think I should have been penalized for it, but I did what they said. I unbuckled my chin strap before I got off my bike. 100% did that. And back then the penalty was disqualification. Right. You know, do I feel like it gave me an unfair advantage under the circumstances? No. And but I did it. You know, and one of the one of the hazards of of being vocal about officiating and rules is you're you're under the microscope a little bit more. <laughs> and that that that's another thing too Kelly when I came in it's like that that has to end, you know. No so it's been a real um, project of mine to sort of to to address the the issue, whether it's real or perceived, of of nationalism okay. or or favoritism or bias. Everybody's a number, whether they're regardless of gender, regardless of nationality, and and every race is a new race. No one comes in with an agenda, you know, or a preconceived notion. We we look at the situation on the day and and make the call and and I don't want anybody in the program that can't do that uh, and we're all humans and right or wrong I in my early days and and I felt like that existed I've I've had athletes come up to me and and who feel like it's happened so I I understand that some of what I felt back in the day might have been kind of a, a a miss, I don't know what the right word is, a misconception on my part, or, um, I made more out of it than it was in, a, right. in actuality. I felt picked on maybe, um, <laughs> more than I, more than I should have, but, um, but it, it still, it's, it, it became an issue that I wanted to address, you know, it, it and it, I feel like it's important. Um, right. and I feel like I made a ton of progress in, in that area too, but yeah, the bottom line is you got to let it go. And, and you've got to have accountability to a certain level. You you know, you broke a rule, 
you've got to accept it. You may not like the outcome or, or why you got it, or you may not agree with the ref, the ref's judgment. But when it comes down to it, you know, I unbuckled my chin strap before I got off my bike. So, right, right. Okay. You know, and so um, obviously we're like starting to have races again, but this whole year without races, have you just been sitting around reading the rule book? You've been involved in like the virtual rules and kind of figuring all that out, right? I have. Yeah. Okay. And, and um, I mean, I've, I've read other books too, not just the rule book, not just but, the rule book. Okay. but yes, I, I have visited our rule book a bit, a bit more than, than normal. And, and the virtual race series was, is something that, you know, just the notion of it and the concept of it was funky to me, mm-hmm. but super proud of, of what came out of that. And, and with, and in our, um, our, um, regulated events, very impressed with the level of integrity, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not perfect. And certainly there were, there've been issues, but it's been pretty darn fair. You know, you, you've got to, especially the, the, when we require the events to be, um, on Ruby, you know, it, it's, right, right, right. it's pretty close to apples to apples. Okay. Yeah, you know, no, it seemed like a lot better. And I know, um, you were involved with that. So it was like a whole new, a whole new, it, uh, uh, ballpark to get into. It was new and exciting. And like I said, I, I, and I, and it's got me in front of the marketing team at, at Ironman. They, they're, kind of the big drivers of, of that whole VR project. Mm-hmm. And so it's opened my eyes again to, to a whole new world of, of, of what goes on at, at Ironman. And it's fascinating to me. And I'm just, I've just been super impressed with how hard that, that team works and their thought process and motivations. Um, it's totally cool. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like when I was an athlete, Kelly, and I, I would go to, or even when I first started as a ref and I would go to, to Diana Birch and say, mm-hmm. Hey, um, the pros want a special aid station, you know, their, their own aid station on the, on the bike and run, you know, let's just put a table up. And she's like, let's just put a table up. <laughs> you know, that's not how it works. Let me, let me explain to you what it's going to take to implement, you know, I'm not opposed to the idea, but let me explain to you what it's going to take. You know, we've got to get, um, how do we, how do we collect their, their needs and how do right. we keep them safe? Right. Tamper free, cold or not cold. You know, now we're, you know, the pros start early. So now we're going to have to staff an aid station earlier. And there's all these things that I never thought of that have to happen. It's not just plopping a table out there and, mm-hmm. you know, having, having our, our significant other or friend or coach or whoever go out and put the bottles out. There's, and, and so my, my quote unquote selfish athlete self, it's been really cool to to see the to to see what's involved in changes that to me seem really simple. Hmm. And again, I, I wish a lot of the the pros, and that's something that I've also tried to communicate to the pros. Hey, you know, I've I've had these requests that I thought were simple that I brought forward, and they're not simple. Right. You know, even starting starting the 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 the, the time gap between the pro men and the pro women. A lot of times there's constraints that I never, yeah, like, what's yeah. the big deal? It's two more minutes. Let's just do it. And they're like, we can't, we've got this crossover. We've got this, we've got that. Yeah, and yeah. that, and it's like, oh, okay. I didn't think of that, you know? And so anyways, I, again, it comes down to communication and, and the more the athletes know, I think the more accepting they are of some of the decisions we make that, 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 that may seem willy nilly, but a lot of thought went into them, you know? And, and, and in the end, may not be as ideal, but, but sometimes to do what we all want, including the event organizers is, is, it's just impossible considering the operational constraints, you know? Um, all right. Is there anything else before you go that you would want athletes to know as we like, now that we're going, you know, as we go into next year, as we actually start to have races again, anything you want them to know? Um, I think the key for me is that, that again, you know, just to emphasize that we're, we're not the enemy. It's not that I don't like to be hated <laughs> uh, yelled at, right. or yelled at, but, but we, we are there because they, because the athletes want us there. And so we're, we're part of the team, you know, and, and, you know, the more people understand the rules and, and take ownership of, of, of those rules and, and that goes you know, it brings up whole other issues of how we communicate, right? 
you know, that's why we needed to, to resurrect this column as the ref. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're there because they, you know, the athletes want us there and we're not the enemy. And, you know, the more that people know the rules, understand the rules and follow the rules, whether a ref is beside them or not at the time, the easier it is for us to spot the people that are there trying to, to cheat the system and gain an unfair advantage. They stick out like a sore thumb. Right. So it would be just to encourage people to know the rules, understand them, follow them. And, and if you're at an event where there's a lack of presence or a perceived lack of presence, bring it up, you know, to the event director and, um, you know, and, and let's get more refs out there. So yeah, okay. kind of a kumbaya thing, you know? Okay. okay. That's fine. It's kumbaya. Well, thank you so yeah. much for, for talking to us and, uh, and walking us through all that stuff. And, uh, hopefully we, uh, see races against it. We see you again soon. Well, or maybe not see me, but I'll be there. How about You'll that? Be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see you while I'm racing, but before or after. Yeah. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Kelly, to talk about something that is actually exciting to talk about to me, but maybe not for others. But um, I think the more we talk about it, the, the better the better the sport will be, you know, when everybody understands uh, what it takes to have races be more fair and so I, I really appreciate the opportunity to blab with you about it. Thanks to Jimmy for the long chat. And remember to send us your ref questions at letters at triathlete.com. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and keep training.